Today we have two speakers. Um, our first speaker is Erin, um, sharing on life on life's terms. Take it away, Erin, and thank you for being here. Hi, everybody. Oh my gosh, I see some faces that um, I haven't seen for a while, I, that I've met places. I see so many new faces. I am just overwhelmed right now with gratitude. Um, I, I saw the number of participants and I went, ah, you guys are doing an amazing thing here. I am just amazing. Um, what a message you're carrying by setting this up. So I just want to thank everybody who's involved in this. Um, really so amazing. Um, the second thing I want to say is when I was like, oh, this is going to be recorded. Okay, don't swear. Don't swear. Don't swear. That's the second thing that came up for me. Um, <laughs> um, I'm Erin. I'm a compulsive overeater and sugar addict from Seattle. Grateful to be here. Um, so uh, I, I think what's going to happen is I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell my story, um, and then I think Trish is going to tell her story, and then we're going to sort of. I have a bunch of things written down, but you know, the first thing I'll say is that I did a bunch of praying this morning, and I just, uh, you know, higher powers got it right. Whatever is, uh, you know, whatever's going to happen and come out of my mouth, if I just turn it over, hopefully somebody will hear something. Um, that they can relate to or that, um, you know, um, inspires them, but I don't have any control over that. So, um, uh, the first, <laughs> I am going to tell my story. It's, I, I'm a pretty run of the mill compulsive overeater. I, I really am. I wish that, you know, I had some sort of, I don't know, a super engaging story, but I'm pretty, I'm a pretty, um, run-of-the-mill compulsive eater. I, sugar is my, is my drug of choice. Um, uh, I, I cannot eat any sugar at all of any kind. Um, no fake sugar, no any kind of sugar. I can't have it. Um, it makes me feel, um, well, it doesn't make me feel anything. <laughs> it makes me feel nothing. Um, so, um, and I can't participate in my life when I have sugar in my life. There are other things that are problematic for me, um, but sugar is my real bottom line. So, um, I will say that, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know when it started, but the, 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 I'll start and sort of jump ahead because it's, it's pretty, um, it's pretty uneventful. But when I was about three years old, my, um, I was sitting behind a car and it backfired. They were working on, I was with my grandparents. My parents were coming back from out of town and the car backfired and because they had put a little gasoline in the carburetor to sort of get it started. And the gas shot out the, the tailpipe and landed on my legs. And um, I got third degree burns on my legs. And my parents were pulling up and, um, and uh, my mom had a, th she brought back for me a, um, uh, can I mention food here? I don't know. Can anybody shake heads and tell me yes or no? Okay. Um, uh, like one of the, they used to have these sleeves of suckers that had like a sucker in each with a little loop on it, you know, for a little one. So you wouldn't, you know, choke on it. She had the sleeve of suckers and, you know, the drive to the hospital in San Diego was about a half an hour from where we were. And so every time I finished one of those suckers, she'd put another one in my mouth, right? Of course she would. Of course she did. Right. 
she, you know, let's, let's keep my mind, you know, let's keep me occupied with something. I'm not saying that's how it started, but boy, you know, sugar really was the way that I soothed myself. And so um, my parents got divorced when I was 11. I was a latchkey kid. Um, I would come home and I would, you know, find all of the, you know, carbohydrates in the house and then cover whatever they were in sugar, right? Um, and for about two hours, three hours until my dad I got home, that's what I would do. Um, started putting on weight in adolescence, you know, normally. And then, um, of course, you know, my compulsive eating, um, I was one of those, um, I, I've probably lost the same 35 or 40 pounds, maybe 50, um, I don't know, 30 times in my life, maybe 40, right? Um, and really for me, it's not, it's not about the weight when I look back on it. It was about, I was insane. I was insane. I had been thin. I had been heavy. I was crazy both ways. I was crazy both ways. So, um, so I, um, that was pretty much my adolescence. Um, you know, there was a little bit of abuse in my home, um, with a step parent, um, um, you know, trauma with a small T, um, lots of little traumas with small T's for me. Um, but sugar and food was always the thing that I knew would um, anesthetize me enough. Um, and then as I got into my 20s, you know, um, I, of course, you know, teens and 20s, I started worrying about my weight. So I, I definitely am, um, have the restrictor in me, I'm not anorexic, but restrictor where I would binge, but then I was so, I didn't want to gain weight. So I would not eat, I wouldn't eat almost anything for like three or four days. And then of course I would binge again. That's my experience. Like, you know, not eating and then binging, it's going to happen like that every time, like clockwork. So, um, uh, that was sort of my experience. I was one of those um, that they talk about in the in in our literature where my outside life looked really good. Um, uh, you know, and I, I say that because I, I have talked to people since I've been in recovery that were like, we just have any idea, right? Um, you could always tell when I was going to get a divorce because I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> um, I look at pictures. I've been, I'm on my third marriage. I call my husband, my current husband. Um, he is my forever husband. I'm really grateful. But um, I look at sort of the, the photo sort of progression. And um, yeah, every time I got real thin, um, oh, that was when I was going through a divorce or a breakup uh, before I took my next, next hostage, right? Um, so um uh, what really, you know, I, um, I came into OA, I'm just going to say this, I came in in 2003. What brought me here was um, everything about my, you know, experience was pretty, you know, sort of average compulsive eater in my mind, right? What, what finally brought me here was I started having trouble swallowing whole food, like, you know, chewed food, um, something that wasn't liquid. And, um, and, uh, you know, I, I went to outside help for that and um, was basically told, right, that your body is, you know, you've got a lot of stress and your body does not want anything else in it. Like, you know, you, it, it is, it's, um, it's a, it's a, a sort of lesser known sort of part of anxiety. And my grandma had the same thing. That's all I'm going to say. Like, so weird. I found that out years later. So uh anyway so that started to scare me after about a year um however it did not scare me at the beginning because i was like oh you know what all i'm going to do now is i'm going to drink smoothies green smoothies right i'm going to lose all this weight and how great i won't have to eat anymore um and so uh what that actually was was a lot of milkshakes and ice cream shocking 
Um, so, um, I did, I did lose weight because, you know, as much as I am a sugar addict, you know, there's only so much I could do in a day and, um, and then I would restrict. And so my hair was falling out. I just, you know, my skin was horrible. I was getting no nutrition and I started to get scared. I, I actually, for the first time started to get scared. My mom started to get a little scared and, uh, I was like, I got it. Okay. Something's going on here. So I got some outside help. And then, um, I think I typed into, you know, um, 2003 in the beginning of the the Google, the whatever, I was like, you know, I can't quit eating sugar. And thank God, right? Oh, Readers Anonymous popped up. So I came in in 2003, stayed for a couple years, had some great physical recovery, recovery, and then my life got really big. Um, and I always say this, I did everything you guys asked me to do, every single thing, except for get a sponsor and work the steps. So um, I loved the social club of OA. Um, I did all the things. Um, I made great friends that I'm still have, you know, still in my life today, but I did not get a sponsor and I did not work the steps. And um, I was out in a couple years and um, my life got big. And, um, you know, uh, let's see, that was 2004. So 13 years later in full relapse, um, my son, uh, my stepson was, um, was, we found out that he was um, um, abusing opiates. And I was like, how can I help him when I'm, how can I help him when I'm not in recovery? So I really, I have thanked him many times for sending me back to recovery. Um, because I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't show up for him. I couldn't show up for myself. Um, so I came back in 2017 and I got a sponsor right away and I started working the steps. So for anyone who is new or, um, you know, we have this 12-day temporary sponsor um, program right now. Um, and um, if anybody wants to talk to me about that afterwards, I'd love to. But I, I just wholeheartedly encourage you to get a sponsor um, right away. Um, just go to your meetings and say, I need a sponsor, right? Um, and um, I started working the steps and uh, I got abstinent off sugar pretty quickly. Uh, and that has um, that is through the grace of a power that is not me. I do not understand higher power. Uh, I, but I have absolute faith um, that it works. Um, um, you know, my higher power was a bunch of different things and it changes all the time, but it's the same thing all the time too. So that's where I'm at today. Um, I do, I have a sponsor. I have sponsees. I, uh, I, I work the steps with them pretty regularly and um, imperfectly. Oh my gosh. So imperfect. Um, and um I have, um, I do a lot of service um, at the group and um, intergroup level. I have found that that has been really important um, for my abstinence. And, um, and I think, I guess that's, I'll leave it at that. That's sort of my story. And that brings us up to today. So thanks. And I'll, I'll come back with some other things, hopefully to say. Thanks, Trish. Thanks, Erin. <laughs> I am so Trish, like, Grateful Recovering. Oh. Oh, what's, what's that? Mickey? I was going to introduce you, but go right ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Here, let me just jump in. Hi, I'm Trish, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Eater from Bend, Oregon. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited. For the first time ever, OA Rise has more than 100 attendees at one of our speaker meetings, which is just really exciting. This is our fourth, I think it's our fourth meeting. <laughs> I haven't kind of kept track. Um, my story began uh, 26 years ago, my OA story. I was 30 years old. I was pregnant with my first baby. I had wanted this baby for five or six or seven years. 
but I had been pursuing a graduate degree and I didn't have time for a baby. Um, but each time I'd have my period, I'd grieve that I didn't have a baby. <laughs> it was kind of bizarre. And I ate like a crazy person. I ate my way through graduate school. I ate my way through a marriage, uh, through a wedding that I knew was not my best choice at the time I did it. Um, my first response to everything, whether it was a celebration or an incredibly stressful event or a sad event, was eating. Um, it, it worked. Um, what I didn't realize was that it numbed those things I wanted to avoid and it avoided, it uh, numbed the rest of my life too. Um, because I had probably been eating since I was a toddler, like compulsively eating since I was a toddler, I developed no practical tools for dealing with life on life's terms. I had to come in here to learn those tools from, from you guys. So I came into program when my older son was four, three months old. Um, and I came in because, well, my dad was in AA and he had been at that point in time, uh, I was 30, about 11 years. And so I had watched my dad grow up in AA and I knew what my problem was. And I knew that 12 step programs worked because I watched him. There was no question in my mind I needed to be an OA. It was just a matter of willingness. I wasn't willing to be an OA. OA. I was absolutely unwilling. Um, me and food, thank you, worked very, much, very well. Until I had my son. And I had this precious infant in my arms who I had desperately wanted for years. And I couldn't be present for him. I was so distracted by food. I remember um, watching TV in the middle of the night and because I was nursing him and be being resentful at this tiny baby in my arms because he was interrupting my eating <laughs> in the middle of the night. And thank God I had enough awareness to see that I was just like my dad when he was drinking. I was emotionally unavailable for this infant, this precious little boy. And that was unacceptable to me. I knew where I needed to go. There was no question in my mind. I was in Salem, Oregon at the time and I looked up OA and I went to a few meetings and I knew I was here to stick. I was here for good, but I got a job in Bend starting in January of 95. So I honestly don't remember how we found meetings back then because the internet really wasn't that big a deal. I think I called the World Service Business Office and found meetings and I found two meetings in Bend. So I was super excited. I got to Bend and I went to both meetings and they were both dead. I was the only one there. So th again, there was no question in my mind where I needed to be and that it was unacceptable to me to continue to live my life without being present for it. So I put an ad in the paper saying desperately seeking OA support group and my first name and or your name Trish and my phone number. And I began to get some phone calls and we began to meet in some ladies' houses. And so OA and Central Oregon uh, revived. There are now people in program who have come back from before that time, which is great. Um, but we revived it from 
kind of from scratch. And <laughs> one of my character defects is arrogance. I am, I am, I can be <clears throat> arrogant. And one of my forms of arrogance is, well, since I started, I started OA in Central Oregon. I'm shaking my head for people who just have an audio recording. I'm shaking my head. I'm, I did not start it. But at the time, I thought I started OA in Central Oregon. And therefore, I have more experience than anyone else. So I will be a sponsor, but I do not have a sponsor. And frankly, nobody was working steps because we were, we, were, we were reinventing the wheel. I didn't know there were conventions. I didn't know there were retreats. I didn't think to go to Portland or Salem or Eugene, even though I had been in Salem, um, to get more guidance, support, work steps. I didn't, I didn't do any useful things. So, <sighs> it's kind of embarrassing when I look back. Over time, we developed four of us who were the, the self-appointed and mutually approved sponsors of our group. And if you were one of the four of us, you could sponsor. I don't know how this happened, but it just evolved over time. If you weren't one of the four of us, then you know you were you were a newcomer until we approved you. I have no idea how this happened. Um, and slowly uh, through attrition, it came down to just the one of me left. <laughs> and somehow I found a retreat and discovered sponsorship and steps. We had a 12-step program, but we didn't do the steps for about four years. Isn't that sad? It's such a, a waste of time. I meet people now who come from bigger towns and they're like, oh yeah, my first meeting, this lady walked up to me and said, I'm your sponsor. Call me at 6 a.m. every single day and this is what we're going to do. And I'm like, oh, I would have left. I would not have been willing to do that. But I'm so envious that you stayed and did it. And then you went to retreats because your sponsor told you to. And you got the huge shot in the arm and the huge benefit from that intense um, exposure to our program. So over time, my program got better. It is just like my disease was progressive. Recovery is progressive as well. If I do my work, it gets better. If I don't do my work, it doesn't get better. Um, so I try very hard to do my work. I wanted to share a couple of experiences that were pivotal for me. One in particular didn't feel like it at the time. I remember being in my kitchen, um, having cooked, having baked something that I don't even have in my house now. Although I think, uh, depending on my spiritual condition, I don't think it would be a problem, but there's nobody here who needs that junk. So I had this thing that I had baked in my house, which is really not a safe food for me. <laughs> and I remember looking across my kitchen and seeing it on the counter and looking down at my kitchen floor and seeing the lines in my kitchen floor that were like built into the tile and realizing on this side of that line is abstinence and recovery. And over there on that side of the lines is insanity. And in horror, I watched myself walk across the line, walk across the kitchen and get into the stuff. And I was mortified. I was absolutely horrified that knowing better, I couldn't do better. But I knew better. And I really beat myself up. It was only later in hindsight that I realized that was progress. Because I cannot even begin to account the number of times when I walked across that kitchen completely unaware of the line I had crossed. 
and that being mortified by my disease treating me like a puppet was a step in the right direction for me. I had another incident when I had company over for a big holiday dinner and there was a lot of food because we were having a lot of guests. We probably had five times the amount of food we needed. Um, and I had a very moderate meal because there were people there. And the whole meal, I'm thinking to myself, ooh, I get to clean up, I get to clean up, I get to clean up, I'm so excited, I get to clean up, I get to clean up. And I shepherded everybody out of the kitchen and upstairs into the family room that was upstairs so I could have the entire downstairs to myself. I was so excited. It was truly a seduction. And I walked, as I was walking back into the kitchen, it suddenly dawned on me, like I am walking into the arms of evil as I know it. And I couldn't, I didn't, I suddenly was aware. And I was, didn't, didn't want to go back to the horror of watching myself walk across the kitchen with my eyes open and not being able to stop myself. So I thought, what, what are my choices here? What, what can I do? Oh, I could call somebody. No effing way. That's not happening. Oh, okay. Just relax. Just relax. Just relax. So what are your other choices? Mm, pray. Oh, yeah. They say praying helps. Huh. On your knees. Eh. Eh. Whatever. Fine. So I got on my knees in the middle of the doorway to the kitchen. And all I remember saying was, help. And I got up feeling really embarrassed, like, oh my God, that was silly. And the next conscious moment of awareness I had was I was closing the refrigerator door. It barely shut. Every dish was clean. Everything was put away. We had more leftovers than we would have by probably double if I had gotten into it. And I hadn't even licked my fingers. And I realized, Oh, prayer works. And I have since come to realize prayer works even if I have my fingers crossed. Like, I don't really mean it. Please don't let this work. I want to be able to eat what I want to eat. And I'm asking for help because that's what they say to do. But I don't mean it. And the next thing you know, it's like the next day and I realize, oh, I didn't eat that. I didn't even miss it. Another prayer that works really, really well for me is make that enough. And that's been, that is right now, super important in my life. Having come through menopause, my metabolism changed and my food didn't <laughs> and my body did. It's like, okay, something's got to give. I don't want to keep gaining weight. This isn't okay. I'm not eating like a crazy person, but I'm gaining weight. My body doesn't need everything I'm giving it. It doesn't need everything it used to need. So I hate limiting my food. I hate it. So I sit down with myself before a meal with my higher power and I say, okay, what's, what's an appropriate amount of food for me today for this meal? And I put that amount of food on my plate and I look at it and I try not to think, that's it. I try to think, make this enough. Please God, make this enough. And then that's the thing is, what I've learned is my obsession is truly a problem. I love the description out of the big book of the obsession of the mind and the allergy of the body because it's the obsession of the mind that gets me every time. 
Because if I eat an abstinent meal that's not tasty, I can spend the rest of the day saying, what do I get now? 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 Until I'm crazy and I'm just a hunting. I feel like a shark. I'm looking for food. And that's not how I want to live my life. I'm not present. I'm anticipating the next bite of something. It doesn't even have to be non-abstinent food. It just has to be something. So for me, the recovery is gradual and progressive and, and varied. Um, I remember Erin talking about losing weight when she was in a breakup or a divorce. The only, well, it's, it's, it's been a weird process. I weighed um, 250 pounds at my top weight and 153 at my bottom weight. And when I was 153 pounds, all I could think was, oh, if I lose three and a half more pounds, I'm in my 140s. <gasps> and my sisters and my sons and my ex-husband are saying, don't lose any more weight. You don't look healthy. I don't think this is good for you. And I'm thinking just three more pounds, three and a half, three and a half more pounds. This, this is just another aspect of my disease. And I'm higher than I want to be. I'm higher than when I feel my best. And I'm okay. I'm not eating like a crazy person. I am not numbing myself out. I am in constant contact with my higher power or as close as I can get. And I'm doing a lot of OA service work. Um, the pandemic has opened opportunities for me that I had never anticipated. I've been to meetings around the world. I've been to more than 90 meetings in 90 days pretty effortlessly. I mean, we don't have that many in Central Oregon, but I can get to Portland or Salem or Eugene or Timbuktu and get to a meeting 24 hours a day if I need to. There's a meeting going on somewhere and I can find it if I need to. Um, and to me, that's recovery. That's willingness to go to any lengths. So I'm going to stop talking. Erin, um, did you want to add anything? Hold on, one, hold on one second. I was just looking at you, Trish, so I had to get the screen back. Um, I do have a question. So I don't know how we're timing this. Should we're gonna, I, it's fluid. Okay, that, that helps me. Thank you. Um, I, I, um, I, would, I, I do have some things I would like to say, you know, I, gosh, I hear, I, I've heard so much, right, um, that spoke to me, and I find myself um, shaking my head a lot, right, when I'm listening to people talking, I'm shaking my head, and in my mind, I'm like, wait, is that crosstalk? I'm shaking my head, but, you know, it, it's just, you know, it's just what's happening for me, right, um, so um, I, I made some notes, um, so when we first started uh, chatting, Trisha and I started chatting about this um, uh, event today. Um, she asked me to sort of come up with a little something, and it was, you know, life on life on life's terms, right? Which um, my recovery um, for me, my recovery is I live in the gray, um, and what I mean by that is that I. Uh, I cannot um, hold myself to a stand a standard 
I can't hold myself to the standard I want to hold myself to because it makes me, I, I, I'm, I get obsessive. Um, I don't weigh myself. Um, uh, because that is just another thing that, you know, if I'm feeling good and I weigh myself, boy, I can feel bad really quick. Right. And so that's not what higher power wants for me. If I'm working the, 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 if I'm working a, a good spiritual program, um, spiritual, mental, and emotional, my experience is that the weight takes care of itself. And I do not mean that I weigh what I want to weigh. Let's be really clear about that. I just mean that the weight I'm at is at the weight I'm at. And um, if I'm working my program as best I can, um, that's got to be okay. That just has to be all right. Um, I have some start items. Um, I just, I want to give a quick shout out to the steps. Um, uh, the steps, um, as well as many other things uh, in this program, um, but the steps have taught me how to be an adult. And I don't know if any of you can relate to this but maybe you can, um, you know, I feel like when I came into program at the beginning, I was like, I don't know, I was like 10 years old, 11 years old. Um, kind of when I, I think I sort of, my, my emotional growth stopped and, um, through working the steps and, and, um, you know, uh, paying attention to the traditions, um, and the, and learning more about the principles. I'm learning how to be an adult. Um, I am able to try things out in these rooms and be, and just like crash and burn uh, in a safe environment, right? So when I go out into my world, you know, whatever that might look like right now, but when I'm, when I'm interacting with people, um, I'm not lying like I used to, right? I, oh my God, I was such a liar, such a liar. I'd lie about things you didn't even have to lie about. Like, you know, somebody would say, oh, what'd you do today? And I'd be like, oh, I, you know, um, you know, I don't know. I worked in the yard. Did I work in the yard? No, I, you know, I was like at the, I don't know, somewhere else. Like it, it, there was no reason to lie about it. It was just like my natural way because whatever I was doing was probably not okay in my mind. Like whatever I was doing wasn't okay. I was very secretive. Um, I'm the kind of compulsive eater that ate in front of you like a lady and then the whole time I'm with you, I'm not with you because I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat when I get home, right? I cannot be present. Um, and I, because I did not know how to be, I didn't have the tools. It was no one's fault, but I did not have, I never learned how to have emotions. Um, somebody, a speaker says this, right? I could not handle the um, regular buildup of human emotions, right? Like I just couldn't handle them. Like the day-to-day buildup um, uh, of human emotions. I didn't know how to deal with it. I'm bored. I'm restless. I'm, you know, right now, restless, irritable, and discontent is what gets me more than anything, right? Like I can have a big emotional, um, situation in my world. Food does not call to me. I'm rest. I'm bored for one second. I'm like, yep. Yeah. I know what, what might help. Right. It, it you know, so, I just, yeah, I didn't know how to discharge regular human emotions when I came into these rooms. Um, so working the steps was kind of like, um, I don't know, it was, it's, you know, they say it's a textbook. It kind of was. It was, it was um, I was, got to work with my sponsor, a person who had worked these steps, and I got to like dip my toe in the water. What was it like? What was it like to have integrity? 
over something very small? What was it like for her to say, hey, I'd like to suggest you do this, you know, this next assignment. And I'd say yes, and then I would do it. Brand new for me. That, that, uh, that just was, that built this little tiny sense of, oh, maybe I'm not a horrible human being because I really like, you know, maybe perhaps others of you feel this way is that um, I thought if, if I know you do, because I hear people say it all the time. If you really knew me, there was no way you would like me. If you really knew me, there was just no way because I was unlovable, unlovable. Uh, so working the steps with a sponsor has started me, has started me on the road to learning how to be an adult in this world. And, um, and um, you know, what do they say that the steps are, are to help us, you know, to help with suicide, the traditions are to help with homicide, um, right? And then the traditions help me show up in the world and also um, as a person that, um, that I can look at myself at the end of the night and um, yeah, maybe I'm in need to make some amends, but I see that um, I'm present for, um, you know, kind of playing off this idea of like the fact that I can notice, right, when I've had too much to eat, that's a miracle, right? Like I never, I never even knew, I never even knew if I had too much to eat at a regular meal. I mean, when I, when I binged, right, the only thing that helped with binging for me um, when I got too full was more food. Like that was the, that was the answer, right? So I would binge, I would feel so sick and so full. The only thing I knew how to do was eat more. Maybe that would change how I feel. So the fact that I can recognize um, that's something that's been coming up during this, this time that we're in right now is um, I found myself um, clenching pretty tightly to my food plan and clenching so tightly to it that I was eating off of it. Um, and I just prayed one day, I, I was just feeling sort of, this was, I don't know, two weeks ago, last week, I don't know, it's all a blur every day's blurs day. Um, I said to God, I just said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what to do right now about, it just feels like every day I, I, I feel compelled to eat something different than this on my food plan. And that to me is not breaking my abstinence. Um, that is just like, I have this written and I eat this thing and I send it to my sponsor at the end of the night. Um, but you know, um, what does that mean? And I, I just got this ease Again, I do not know how it works. Um, where uh, I was being a little too um, uh, compliant. I was being a little too compliant. Um, and uh, for me, like I said, I need to live in the gray. So uh, I, I just needed to wear my abstinence a little more like a loose garment um, right now during this time. I just need to do that. And um, part of that for me um, if I skip to another thing that I have a little starred is um, loving kindness and grace to myself, for myself and from my higher power. Um, for me, shame around what I ate and how I looked. Um, I had, I, I, I uh, just to toss this in, really extreme body dysmorphia. Um, I, I, uh, I have been relieved of it, and I that is a miracle. And um, for the most part, for the most part, right on my on most days. But um, 
this idea that I would eat and then I thought, well, I can't eat for three or four days because I'll get fat. Well, you know, it just, it took up so much real estate in my head and I couldn't be present for anybody in my life. And um, I just felt like I was running on this treadmill that was like getting faster and faster and faster and faster. And um, I was never going to measure up. You were, if you knew me, you were going to like me. And I was pretty much always going to mess up. I was always going to mess up um, and I would be found out. Um, And I also couldn't ask for help from anyone. I could not ask for help from anyone. I can do it myself. Some of you may relate to that. I can do it myself. Oh my God. So lonely. So lonely. So um, my spiritual practice this is one of the things that's helping me right now, like be present, right? Accepting life on life's, ter- life's terms is I really, I've expanded my spiritual practice um, and it is, you know, personal to me. Uh, and, but what I will say is that um, what that has given me is um, grace around myself, my food and, um, and how I show up every day because um the bar is different every day for me right now. Um, I can wake up in the morning, you know, and I wake up agnostic and a compulsive eater, right? Every morning I wake up and, uh, and then I pray. I get on my knees every morning, in, um, almost every morning. I say always, right? It's never true. It's a, a lot of the time. It's 80 to 90% of the time. But when I say always, you can always be like, oh yeah, no, it's not always. Um, but I, I get on my knees in the morning and I never thought I'd do that because that was for weirdos and freaks, um, you know, right? I didn't need to do that. And then of course I started doing it because my sponsor suggested I try it. And what do you know? So um, I, uh, I, this is a, the bar changes every day. Some days I can get up and I can, um, I'm not working a lot right now. I should say that. Cause I know there's a lot of people still working straight through this thing. Like nothing's changed for them. And that is not my experience. Um, I am not working very much right now. And so, um, some days, uh, I feel very motivated and in touch with that sort of flow. And I, I get a lot done and, um, other days I can maybe walk the dog and that's about it. And that's the truth of it. That is the truth of it. And um, I have a lot of compassion for myself around um, all of that, around the days that I'm very, very, I feel very productive and around the days where, you know, I, um, what I did was self-care, right? And it looked imperfect, right? Um, There are lots of days that involve a lot of Netflix for me right now. I'm not going to lie about that, but um, I'm abstinent, right? So, if it doesn't involve like the, the, the Bermuda Triangle, right, of the television, the, the TV, and uh, or the TV, the refrigerator, and, and the couch, right, that's a problem for me, right? It's this place where it's just like enough, the time becomes this like, you, nothing, who knows what happened to the 12 hours of the day. Um, but if I'm abstinent watching TV, a few hours of TV, you know, and then I'm like, okay, I, I you know, I feel like maybe I might do something else. But I'm really, um, I'm very kind to myself about that right now. My higher power is just like, yep, you got to do what you got to do right now. So um, loving kindness and and grace with myself. Um, I do want to say too that um, besides from expanding my spiritual life, um, uh, what has really, really been coming up for me so much so is our, our lovely phrase, our slogan, one day at a time. Um, I don't know about you guys, but man, if I think 
if I think about tomorrow or next week, I don't know what's going to happen. Right. And, and I can think, Oh, what about tomorrow? I'll be like, oh, I don't have to worry about that right now. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. My belief is that if I am being of service, showing up for my sponsees, um, if I'm doing, okay, these are the things I think about every day, next indicated step. Some days, if you heard me, like if you were in my house when it's quiet, I'll be like, okay, God, what's next? Okay, God, what's next? Like I'm saying that 30 times. Okay, what's next? Because I'm like a toddler that just needs you to hold my hand. I need God to hold my hand. I need fellows to hold my hand all day long because like, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's next, but I do know if left to my own devices, food will be next, right? I am, I am a bite away like anybody else, like, you know, uh, so I don't pretend that, um, that is not possible for me. Um, I don't feel that way, but let's not get cocky about it. Right, Aaron, let's not get cocky about it. So, um, what's next, God, next indicated step. What's next. Okay. And then you know what? The day starts and the day ends and I get to go to bed at night and um, the day is going to end at some point. So one day at a time, if I think about next week, um, I, I start to get anxious. Um, I can get sad. I can get afraid and um, it's going to show up. Next week is going to show up and, um, and God's already there. Like my higher power, my divine spirit, my source is already in next week. I believe that. So and I'm going to be, I'm going to be given whatever I need to handle the difficulties of the day. So I do trust that. I trust that if I don't act impulsively, which is, oh, my go-to, right? My go-to is acting impulsively. Um, and um, I don't, I, I will tell you this. Uh, we've been doing some nesting in our home right now, and I am not a spender. That has not ever really been something that has um, shown up for me. Huh. Like, I've had to uh, like look at my cart or whatever, you know, on the computer and I see some things in it and I'm like, I'm just going to shut the computer and come back and I'll go back the next day and I'll look at the cart and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm so glad you didn't buy any of that because you, you don't need any of that, right? But I do this like shopping thing where it feels, sir, I get, you know, I get a little hit from it maybe, right? Maybe that's what's happening. That's the truth of it. But I just, I don't, I don't act on that impulse more often than not. And I shut it and then I come back and I came back this morning to look at something and I was like, oh my God, look at all the things that are in that. Oh, I don't need any of those things. And I just emptied the cart and I was like, okay. So I don't know what to say about that, right? I'm an addict. I'm a compulsive eater. Like that stuff shows up, right? It's a whack-a-mole. So, um, but I do trust that um, imperfectly, if I keep showing up, if I keep doing service, and if I keep reaching out to people. So that's the, I think I'll wind up this portion of it by talking a little bit about um, isolation. <laughs> and um, yeah, about isolation. So um, I had a couple of things happen uh, separately, but that were um, were um, uh, brought me a lot of sadness and grief uh, and anger and resentment. And so uh, I asked, you know, I just, I kept, uh, here's what happens for me when that's happening, right? So there's a situation happening and um, I'm going to sleep thinking about it and I'm waking up thinking about it and it is spinning around and around in my head. And then I say to God, I'm like, God, please take this, please take this. I put it in my God box. 
I say, please take this. And, and I know that God will. And then two minutes later, it's running. It's that same thing. And I'm having conversations in my head with people who don't exist, which for me, that is a sign, right? Like that is when I'm like, okay. Like I'm starting to have conversations with people aren't there. And um, so I'm like, okay. And so I just said, God, I can't think about this today. So I heard somebody say this, you know, can you just take this today? And then if I'm meant to have it back, I know you'll give it back to me and I'll have what I need. But right now it is making me insane. Um, and so uh, I said, you know, what, what do I do? And, you know, I didn't hear anything right in that moment. I turned it over and I don't always hear things right away. It's not like, you know, I, mine is the educational variety. But like about a half an hour later, I was like, oh, I should call that person. They have really, they have some experience around this thing that I'm dealing with, fellow. I called them and they were like, oh my God, I'm so glad to hear from you. And I said, I, I hate, I hate to ask you about this because it's kind of, you know, it's a little bit about what you do for work and, you know, you, you know, sort of, and she was like, oh my God, I'm so happy to talk to you about this. I'm so happy to talk to you about this. It's, you know, let me talk to you. And I got to share with her how I was feeling. She got to sh share her experience, strength and hope around it. And, um, you know, it's not that anything changed for me other than I didn't feel alone anymore. Somebody else knew how I felt. And, um, and I showed someone who I was, right? And I wasn't sure if I should call this person or ask this thing and, you know, like, I don't know, but it felt, it, it felt inspired. And then I, I don't know, man, being, in, being intimate with people and being vulnerable, you know, and um, being honest with my food every day with my food partner and my sponsor, like that is, uh, that I guess I should say that's the big deal. Like I'm honest with my food every day and that's, that's, uh, I never wanted anybody to know what I ate. So that has been a real turning, a real change for me. I would say up until about a, a year ago, like I was sort of fudging my food. I'd, I'd write down what I wanted it to look like. Right. And then I'd forget like the three other things on it. And I don't do that anymore because it's not for my sponsor. It's for me. Right. It's for me. So um, I just, I want to say that making phone calls to people and I consider myself right. Like uh, I, I definitely struggle with some ego, you know, like I want you to think I'm cool. I want you to think that I'm cool and that I have a lot to offer and that um, maybe you want to be like me, right? Because I never belonged. I never knew where I fit in. And, um, and I still feel that way sometimes, right? So maybe if I could be cool, then you might want to be with me. And then some, you know, I need something on the outside, you know, to make me feel better on the inside. And what that is, is that God-shaped hole for me, right? So I keep working this program. Um, so make phone calls, find some, make a posse, find a posse. If you don't have a posse, find some people that you can call um, and, and talk to. Because uh, if you're like me and you don't wanna tell anybody that's going on, you know, what's going on inside you, like it is a spiritual experience for me to share um, something intimate with uh, someone. and. Um, it never ever um, keeps me, it never ever doesn't feel right. So I'm, I'm gonna end there. So I am Trish, grateful recovering compulsive eater still. It's so great to see you all here. I'm so excited. Um, I wanted to, to touch on some things that I heard Aaron share about that really rang true for me and were very consistent with my own experience. Um, she said, she says, okay, God, what's next? which is really funny because I walk around saying, okay, God, now what? So this is a variation of the same thing. And for me, it allows me, it allows me to check in. Um, 
I remember I had, it had become a habit. Okay, God, now what? Um, whether it was an employee standing in front of me with an issue or an, or a, one of my business partners um, or a life partner or one of my children or one of my parents. Okay, God, now what? Before answering, <laughs> that's the key. <laughs> Don't do anything until I say, okay, God, now what? I remember one day, um, my older son was about seven years old and we were standing in the kitchen and I don't remember what happened, but I was really mad at him. And I grabbed him by his upper arms and I popped him on the countertop, picked him up in the air and dropped, put him down on the countertop as I had my arms around his up, my hands around his upper arms. And I realized as his little butt hit the countertop that I had just touched my son in anger for the first time. And I didn't know what to do. And I said, in my head, okay, God, now what? And the next thing I know, I wrap one arm around him. I wrap the other arm around him. I hug him close and I whisper in his ear, I am so grateful to be your mommy. And he started crying and I started crying and whatever it was I was mad about was long since forgotten. And that is not how I was raised. I was raised in a family where getting hit was a pretty, pretty good likelihood. If, if dad was mad, you were going to get hit. And I am more like my dad than my mom. And so I don't remember striking my children. I should ask them, huh? <laughs> I don't remember hitting my children, certainly not when I was angry, because of program. Uh, as I said, I came into program when my older son was three months old. And before that, um, I think Erin mentioned the, the vicious triangle, the refrigerator, the TV, and the couch. My vision of being a mom, and I, I've shared, I desperately wanted to be a mom. My vision, like the thing I anticipated, was that I would be sitting on the couch watching the TV with my food products, I really can't call them food, but edible things next to me that will numb me out and maybe a variety, a, a good variety of things. You know, you have to have a balanced diet <laughs> and, and with my kids behind me playing and I'd be saying, shut up, I can't hear the TV. That's what I thought my life was going to be like before program. Now my sons are uh, 23 and 26. They have known me as a program person almost their entire lives. I went through my second pregnancy in program. I gained 21 and a half pounds uh, in that pregnancy and six months, six weeks after he was born, I had lost 21 and a half pounds. And he was eight pounds, 11 ounces, um, which means I actually lost weight during that pregnancy. And he is the one who struggles the least with food in our family. He's like, as a kid, I'd way rather have broccoli than, than a Snickers bar. I'm like, you're so weird. You're so weird. Okay, okay, we'll give you broccoli. Um, but it's mine. So being present as a parent, it was truly beyond my wildest dreams. Um, as the parent of young adults, I am incredibly grateful to observe the impact of my program on them and their lives. Very, very frequently will come to me. This is happening in my life. What do I do? That's happening in my life. What do I do? And more often than not, my answer is, 
I'm not the best person to ask that question. I don't know enough. So who do you know who knows more than me? If it's a college question, who at the, at the school knows more than me? If it's an employment question, who at your employment knows more than me? Because what I want to teach them is how to live, not how to rely on me. I want to teach them to fish. I don't want to give them fish. Because I do a lot of work with death and dying in my employment. And I know how suddenly parents can leave. My job is to enable them to be independent of me. Which makes them more interested in coming to me because I'm not going to tell them what to do. I'm going to brainstorm with them who is the best person to ask. Calling for help. Erin um, touched on the topic of learning to deal with discomfort. And for me, dealing with life on life's terms means dealing with discomfort. And as an addict, the thing I hate most is being uncomfortable. I just want to be comfortable all the time. I don't want to be uncomfortable. But the reality is when I take the edge off the negative feelings and the painful feelings, I take the edge off of life. And I want to live life fully. I want to suck the marrow from the bones of life um, and be present for every second that I can stand it. And that's really a challenge in COVID for me. I'm an employer. I have employees I need to be responsible for. I have customers who come to see us and we need to be responsible for their safety while they're in our care. Um, I have an 88 year old mom. I have a significant other who has a minor son who comes to see us every other weekend. I have a lot of moving parts in my life, all of which get impacted differently by COVID. And I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to learn to deal with that low grade, constant, sometimes higher grade discomfort. It just kind of, you know, life on life's terms is already somewhat unpredictable and a little bumpy at times. For me, adding COVID has amplified that discomfort and that edginess. I am restless, irritable, and discontent far more often than I have been historically. And I'm really disappointed with myself. It's like, you should just, I'm like, oh, just a second, stop. We don't talk to me that way. That was another thing I learned. Um, for me, any spiritual activity I do that's outside program is 11th step work. It's pursuing conscious contact with my higher power. I spend almost no time watching movies, TV, news, or videos of any kind. Every once in a while, somebody I trust will send me a video and I'll watch it and on YouTube. And then when it's done, it flashes up a bunch of options. And I did that once recently. And one of the options that flashed up was called something like who you should marry right now. And my reaction was bite me. What the? And I thought, oh, just a second. That means there's a lesson here for you. <laughs> Anytime you have that strong a reaction, there's a lesson here for you. Okay, so watch it. 30 seconds. If you hate it, turn it off. And it was a lady talking about how she was on her third marriage and that who you should marry right now, she had discovered over the course of her life was herself. And that hit me really hard. Like, oh, I want to love, honor, and respect me. I love me. I'm pretty good at saying I love me. And yet, I have a really hard time respecting and honoring me sometimes. 
I just think I should be able to get over something. Oh, just get over it, Trish. That's not respectful. Oh, I want to be fully present for me and my weaknesses and my strengths. I want to be, I want to wrap myself around the discomfort of not knowing what to do and having it feel like the rules change all the time with COVID. As an employer um, and a person with elderly clients, it feels like the rules are changing all the time. Not like they were in March, thank you God, and April, but still, you know, is this the right thing to do? Is that the right thing to do? Um, and trying to be a responsible adult, having the self-restraint to say, so due to a series of events, I believe that I have had more of an exposure than I normally would. So I'm going to work from home for two solid weeks and not expose my staff to me. That's not what I want to do. I want to be in the office. I love working where I work. But out of respect for the people who work with me, I need to, to stay home and work at home. That, that's, that's hard. It's not what I want to do. A lot of what's happening now is not what I want to do. Um, my mom is 88. Uh, she's in great health. She's a hoot to spend time with. I want to spend time with her, but for the same reasons, I'm grounded from her for two weeks. And I'm one week into it. I'm being really, really good, <laughs> but it's not easy. I want to be disrespectful. I want to pretend this isn't happening. I want to stick my head in the sand and, and pretend I can do everything as normal. But I don't want the regret that might come from doing that. And just like when I was five or six years into program and I observed myself being unbelievably disrespectful to people on 800 numbers, like a credit card company would call me and ask me for some money and I would just be vicious or something would come up on my credit card statement that was unexpected and I would just be vicious because it left me with a false sense of powerless, powerfulness. But it was false. I had no power in that context. And what I finally realized was anytime I'm vicious to a stranger, I'm not being here who I came here to be. I owe amends to someone I can never reach and I don't like me. So I did, stick, I did four, five, six, seven and realized the reason I'm so vicious is because it leaves me feeling less powerless but it's completely false. And I have these three huge drawbacks. I'm not here I, who I came to be. I can never find these people to make amends and I don't like me. And so I did the seventh step and asked God to remove the shortcoming of being vicious with strangers on the phone. And I was somewhat fearful because then I knew I was also gonna lose my false sense of powerfulness. And what happened the next time I got a phone call or had to make a phone call about something on a credit card statement was I asked for help. Can you help me with this? I have this unexpected charge on my card. I'm wondering if you can help me with it. And I think because there was not a mean, nasty person on the phone, they were very eager to help me with it. <laughs> and, and I got off the phone thinking, that was weird. That was really different. I wonder what was, oh, ah my sixth and seventh step worked. I wasn't mean. I don't owe amends to anybody. And I like me. And it didn't hurt me at all to not be mean. <sighs> yeah, I need to remember dealing with life on life's terms means sitting in discomfort a lot. 
I learned to speak my truth in this program because one of the things I've learned is when I don't speak my truth, I don't like me. When I am biting my tongue, I don't like me. When I am biting my tongue or otherwise not speaking my truth, that voice, that nasty, you are such an idiot, you can't do anything, she comes back. But if I can find a way to speak my truth, and at first it was not kind. I've heard in another program, say what you mean, but don't say it mean. I figured say what you mean, and if you have to, say it mean was my rule of thumb because it was more important that I get it out of me to you than it was for me to be worried about how you might perceive it. I've since gotten much better at saying it without being mean. And speaking my truth has become such a powerful practice. When I have a problem with somebody, I'm not allowed to email them. I'm not allowed to text them. I have to pick up the phone and call them and preferably make an in-person appointment and have a conversation with them one-to-one. -one. On the phone is second best, in-person is best. Now Zoom's an option. Um, but texting back and forth as soon as there's any energy about that text is a nightmare. It's designed to make the situation worse because there are so many nuances that I don't realize, or, or I do, and I kind of like it because I can say something by text I would never say straight to your face. Um, and it's my responsibility to be an adult, pick up the phone and say, gosh, now my focus is curiosity. First, I have to do my work, which is step work before I pick up the phone so that I can diffuse the energy that's gathered about a topic. And when I can pick up the phone with curiosity, questions that actually end in question marks, like what do you mean by that, does not end with a question mark. What do you mean by that? Ends with a question mark. And they will know the difference. <laughs> when I can call and say, gosh, I'm really confused by what happened this morning. Can you tell me more about what you meant when you said blah? And be curious and then listen. I learn a lot. I learn a lot about me. I learn a lot about them. And at the very least, I gather information that tells me whether this is a person I wanna be in a relationship with. I don't have to worry about being abandoned or abused. I get to make, I get to have discernment and this process gives me information I need in order to have discernment. So Erin, I'm going to invite you to share on some of the lessons you've learned in program about dealing with discomfort. All right. All right. Okay. So, oh, thank you. I'm making all sorts of little notes while you're talking. Um, some lessons I've learned um, during, during this time that we're in now. Um, um, okay, so here's, here's, a, here's one. And again, take or leave any of these, but this one's been really helpful for me. Um, so this is related to the pause, right? The pause that we take. And so, you know, that pause that I take between, um, you know, the event and, and action, right? That's where God comes in. So I have a phrase that I use. Um, if it's important, it's not urgent. If it's urgent, it's not important. We used to say to our kids, if you need an answer now, the answer is no. Um, so that's kind of what I, it's kind of what I say to people, like, you need an answer from me right now about a big thing. I can't, I can't answer that for you right now. I need to have 
some one-to-one -one with my higher power. I might need to talk to some other people about it. But if you need an answer immediately, the answer is going to be no. And that's the right thing for me, you know, whatever it might be. So if it's important, I can take some time. Um, and, and, you know, there are a lot of things right now that feel urgent. And when I make decisions based on urgency and, um, and impulsiveness, I'm, there's so many times I'm going to have to make an amends or that I, you know, it doesn't mean that maybe, you know, uh, it, I think there are a lot of, there are a lot of ways things can go. There's not just one outcome for everything, but if I pause and I take some time to check in with my higher power about something that seemed where I feel super wound up about it. Like I know if I feel super wound up, I need to wait, right? I need to wait because I'm going to, I'm going to respond based on a feeling and not, and not facts. Right. And, um, that, that hasn't worked for me well in my life. That's not to say that I don't trust my intuition now, but it's because I take a pause and I talk to higher power and I talk to people that have more information than I do. There are a lot of people out there that know a lot more stuff than I do, as was mentioned, you know, before. So, um, so yeah, that pause for me and not acting impulsively when things in a day can feel like, uh, they have to pivot immediately. That said, pivoting. I'm pivoting a lot during my day. And those pivots are really um, usually responses to me asking what's next, higher power, like what's next? Okay. Oh, but I was going to do, oh, this is what I'm doing now. Okay. And I know that I sense it in my chest. You know, I sense it in my body when I ask God what's next. And I'm like, I'm going on self-will and I've got this list of things to do. And I have found so many times that I think I've written in my big book, like ask God for help with God's plans, not for help with mine. Right. So um, I'll have a list of things. And, you know, my list now is there are options for my higher power. I'm like, here's here's my list. This is an option for today. If you want to take anything off of it. Great. If not, if your day has something different for me. OK. Um, and I tr that has worked out. That has worked out for me. And I'm a person that if I don't do this, this, and this, I don't know what's going to happen because I need to control my world so that I don't feel upset or you don't feel upset because I cannot handle that, right? But I can now, right? Through recovery, that is not my experience any longer. Um, I do want to sort of say that um, I had, as far as, you know, speaking my truth and living in integrity. I had a, a situation I referred to that was very emotional. Um, you know, I, I, I made an assumption about a person in my life who I had met in the last year. And um, I assumed we were on the same page about some things, um, some sort of pivotal things during this time. And I found out that we weren't. And, um, and listen, that's okay, right? That's okay. Um, I, I can accept you as you are, and then I can make a decision about what's right for me. Um, I was sort of, you know, um, this, this, uh, person was in, involved leading something that I was sort of involved, I was very involved in and really felt deeply about. And, um, they mentioned what they felt about this particular situation. And I didn't say anything. I was with other, a couple of other people because I didn't want them to think, I didn't want them to not like me anymore. Right. Like that. I felt so, I felt like a teenager. Right. But for the next week and a half, I was gutted about it. I was gutted about it because this thing is something I feel very strongly about. And um, to not say anything in front of other people was sort of tacitly, I think, saying, oh, I, I agree with this, sure. So the next time it came up, I said, you know, I heard higher power and I was like, okay. I was like, I don't agree with that. That's all I had to say. 
I said, I don't agree with that. And then we kept talking and it was fine, but I got to come home and be in my truth, right? I got to come home and be an adult and say like, oh yeah, they may decide they don't like me because I don't agree with, on the, with them on this. But then you know what, is that then, is that a person, right? That I want in my life. Um, but I did feel like a teenager. I'm not going to lie. I felt like, oh, she's cool. And I want her to like me. And, you know, but oh, I felt so much better afterwards. And that is all higher power. Like that is all this program that is all watching you guys do similar things and knowing if you can do it, I can do it. Um, I will also say too that um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a plug for literature. What's helping right now? So there's this new book out. Does everybody have this new book? Does everybody have this new book on body image relationships and sexuality? It's a plug for an OA book. Um, I just, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And I'm a literature person. Um, I, I, I have a lot of literature and I do, I have a practice every morning where I read a lot of OA literature and, and some outside literature as well. But um, that book, boy, people really laid it on the line and it's opening up some new, um, it's opening up some new conduits for me for my writing and how I'm feeling. So, you know, literature, um, I'm starting to think, I, you know, I haven't read the stories in the back of the big book for a while. I read acceptance is the answer a lot because I always say to my sponsees, go back, go and read acceptance is the answer. But I, you know, like I need to do some reading. And for the, me, the stories in the back of the book are sort of pleasure reading. I mean, I, I know they're not, but they, they sort of feel like it. So um, that's a plug for what's working right now for me in program. And, you know, um, Lifeline, you know, I know it's ending at the end of this year, but um, boy, I still, I love getting Lifeline. Um, and um, I'm going to be sad to see it go. Um, uh, me, uh, I want to say this as well. Um, <laughs> I have so many little notes here. Um, I'm asking God what's next. Um, one of my favorite phrases in the big book is um, that we meet calamity with serenity. And um, I can have a day, I can have two identical days, let's say. And if I'm in self-will in one day and I've turned it over to higher power in the other, and the days end up exactly like with the same outcomes, the day where I'm in self-will is so much harder. It's so much harder. And like, I forget that I, I am, you know, for me, this is a disease of forgetting, you know, I, I just, I forget that. And so the journey of a day right now, if I turn it over to a power greater than myself, whatever that might look like is so much easier than if I'm in self-will and holding on really tight about the outcome because I'm afraid. So I, I really, um, I really trust my higher power. And, and I will tell you that I have to remind myself um, by a great thing as I go through my God box. I don't know if anybody has a God box, but I go through my God box and I look through it and I'm like, oh my God, that got solved. That got solved. That got solved. That got solved. I don't know how it happens, but I look at all the things I'm like, oh, that, because they were just all my fears, right? They were all my fears. And if I just, a lot of times for me, the answer again is, don't just do something, sit there because I'm an impulsive person, right? Um, those things, they get worked out without me having to manipulate them and try to control them so that, you know, I can, you know, I'm all powerful, right? 
you know, I, you know, I'll have a sponsor say something about like, well, I did this and this and this. I'm like, God, you're so powerful. I'm so powerful, right? That I just think that I am, right? And it's exhausting. It, it never worked for me. It was always exhausting. So um, trusting that if I reflect on my spiritual experience the last, you know, however many months, years um, that God's got me, I have to remind myself of that and that it's going to be okay. Um, because I am really, I, I am a fearful person and um, recovery has really, really shown me um, that I do not have to be and that I can be fearful and that I'll be taken care of. Um, and then the other thing I, I sort of want to talk about is meditation. <laughs> I bet if I had um, the microphones on all of you right now, I would hear a lot of Ugh, groans, right? Ugh. <laughs> grown from me too. Um, I, uh, you know, meditation can look like anything to me. And um, I, because I like to look a particular way, I used to think, oh, I've got to meditate for 20 minutes, I have an hour of my legs crossed and stage burning and all the bright lights. And, you know, that's just me wanting to, you know, my ego, right. Or, or whatever. Um, I do a lot of walking and um, I've been trying to just pay attention to my breathing while I'm walking. Um, I find that um, that right now, walking in my neighborhood, which I love, I hate everybody in my neighborhood. I'm just going to tell you that I hate the people out there with the dogs that were never out walking their dogs before. And now everybody's got a dog and they're all walking on my street where I'm walking with my dog who's dog reactionary. And oh my gosh, I have so much resentment. Well, when I'm out walking, what I get to do is I get to remember like they're having maybe the same feelings, right? When I come, so this is what, this is a really like, <laughs> I'm walking down the street, got my dog. I'm in the middle of the street. The dog, you know, the person coming toward me is like crossing the street. In my mind, I'm like, well, they should cross. I have all these things. Like, well, they should cross the street because I'm right here, right? No, I just, you know what I do? I act as if I ask how I'd want them to act toward me. So I cross the street, right? I cross the street so that they, they don't have to, right? My dog's reactionary anyway. I should probably cross the street anyway, right? I, I have all these little things, right? That how do I, how do I want to show up? How do I want to show up for the people in my neighborhood? We are all suffering right now in one way or another, right? And so the little things that I can do that are of service, right? I can be of service by crossing the street by picking up extra dog poop, right? Like those are the things of service right now for me. Um, the lesson around that is that um, service for me during this pandemic has been critical, critical because it's, I am so self-involved. Um, it is all about me and I can't think about myself when I'm doing service for other people. Um, you know, I mean, I can, but it's pretty hard. Um, uh, and, you know, when I get to show up and, um, and listen to people speak, when I get to go to events, when I get to show up for my sponsees, um, man, my sponsees are smart. My sponsees are really, really smart. And I'm just hearing so much stuff during this pandemic where I'm like, why am I sponsoring you? Like, um, and I'm really grateful for that. I'm really, really grateful for that. Um, uh, I do want to say that the question that I'm asking myself most right now, I want to see if there's anything else that like really is hopping out at me. Okay. I have two things to say. I have a little joke and then I have, um, I'm going to tell the joke at the end. Um, the, the question that is coming up for me right now is, um, when 
I'm having big feelings, when I don't deal with something well, like if I am not using the, the tools and the principles of this program, because that happens, um, uh, when I'm having a lot of big feelings and I'm not eating over them, right? Because I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I get to ask myself, what do I get to learn from this? What do I get to learn from this? And, and I will just say, you know, Trish also mentioned something like this, which is, I want to have all the feelings. And if you had ever told me that I would, that I wanted to have all the feelings, I would have been like, F you, absolutely not. That is the last thing I want to do. It is such a privilege to have feelings. And I, I have found so far, they will not kill me. I, I, I'm still doing more research because I'm certain that there are times where it's possible one of them might kill me. <laughs> um, so um, I remember my sponsor would say, I'd be like, oh my God, I, I just want to eat so bad tonight. You know, we first started working together and she'd be like, you're not going to die. And I'd be like, I might die. And she'd be like, okay, you might die. I never died. But I remember she said that and I was like, God, like, what if I die? She's like, well, you might. Um, amazingly, I didn't. Uh, so, um, yeah. Uh, so what do I get to learn from this? Um, that helps me reflect on the event, my reactions, how I showed up, and then I get to be introspective and I get to make it not about me and how you did something wrong to me. I get to make it about, well, okay, what do I get to learn from this? How can I show up next time differently? Do I need to show up differently? You know, um, I can pretty much guarantee you I can learn something from every interaction. Um, so that, that is, I guess that's probably, that's probably like the snow cap for me is like, what do I get to learn from this? I'm asking myself that a lot and I'm doing a lot of writing about that. Um, okay. So you guys probably maybe have heard this, but I just think it's like so perfect. So this fellow on top of their house, right? And the floodwaters are rising and they're on the roof, right? And, and they're praying to uh, their higher power and they're like, okay, you know, God, if you just, you know, if you get me out of this, like, you know, if you get me out of this, I will just, you know, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. Please, please get me out of this. And the waters are rising and the water's rising. And this guy comes by in a rowboat and says, hey, you know, jump in, I'll, I'll, I'll save you. The fellow's like, no, nope, nope, I got it. I'm just, I'm waiting for higher power. I'm just, you know, higher power's got this. Higher power's got this. And a few minutes later, somebody comes by in a speedboat. The guy on the roof is like, you know, no, thanks. You know, the guy in the speedboat's saying, you know, hop in, I'll save you. He's like, that's fine. You know, I'm good. Higher power's got this. Higher power's got this. I really trust higher power's got this. A few minutes later, a helicopter comes, puts down a rope and says, you know, grab the rope, grab the rope. The guy's like, nope. I'm waiting on higher power. I'm certain. I trust that higher power has got this. The waters are rising. The waters are rising. And, and the guy's like, oh my God, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? Like, you know, why, why? And God's like, I sent you a rowboat, a powerboat, and a helicopter. What else do you need? And with that, I pass. <laughs> Mickey, if you'd go ahead and read that, that bit out of the big book, I think it's a couple paragraphs on acceptance. Are you in the fourth sure. edition? Um, did you want me to share it on the screen as well? Um, if you can, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, let me do that. So this is in the fourth edition, page 449, and the third edition, page 417, I think. Mm -hmm. 
It's coming. <laughs> I think it's nice to um, read it um, while you see it. And I've got uh, the fourth um, page 417 from Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book on Acceptance. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, person, place, or thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, compulsive overeating, I could not stay sober, abstinent. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not on so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. Thank you. And that is one of the bedrock foundation cornerstones for me of living life on life's terms. I'm, I'm really not very skilled at living life on life's terms if I'm not accepting reality. I, I have a friend in program who says, you put me up a, against a plate of bleeps and I lose every single time. That's because I have to accept that I lose every single time. So I can't be up against a plate of anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't, that's not a safe place for me to go. I heard Aaron talk about um, wanting to truly live life. And that means living life on life's terms. Um, I have had the, through the course of my recovery from compulsive eating, I have learned uh, to identify situations that have a certain energy for me. It's almost like they have an energetic glimmer or, or, um, they're pretty, pretty shiny, shiny. And sometimes they're really ugly, really ugly, but they have an energetic, uh, enhanced energetic energy for me. And I think, ooh, there's something for me to learn here. Ooh, I wonder what I get to learn here. And what I've learned is I consider it, those are Easter eggs and I put them in my basket and I carry them with me. And I typically get two or three or four or sometimes five of these Easter eggs that come together in a different way if I collect them as I go and I get to continue to um, shine them up and revisit this experience, whether it was good, bad, or something else. It's an experience that I can learn from. I've, I've learned to identify the energy around these experiences. So I pick this up and I carry it with me. And then I pick that one up and I carry it with me. And it's almost like braiding hair. All of a sudden it comes together in a new way. And I have a new insight that I had no clue was possible before I picked up the first one. And then after I picked up the first one, I didn't see the rest until I saw the rest. So when I go through life now, I try to remember that almost always the worst situations I have been out been in have turned out to be the best. What I think is bad is good. Oh, <laughs> it's very humbling, but it's also for me very reassuring. Like, oh, this situation is terrible, horrible. I, I hate it. I, I hate it. Oh, so this is going to be one of those really good ones. Okay, Trish, if you say so, because part of me really resists that. I want to, I want to maybe wallow a little bit in my self-pity and my, you know, dislike of a situation. But the reality is, 
reality wins every time. And if I can accept it, then I have some choices. If I can't accept reality, I have no choices left. I'm in a war I cannot win. I remember the very first backpacking trip, multi-day backpacking trip I went on. I was 50. I had, um, yeah, I had gotten divorced um, very recently, and I was off with a man who was willing to teach me to backpack. Um, we, were, we were an item. Um, and he was an avid long time backpacker. So he kind of knew everything and I knew nothing, but I knew I had a strong intuition. I would like backpacking a lot. So we decided to do a six night, seven day trip to the Sawtooth Range in Idaho. And in Idaho, um, that part of Idaho, there are grizzly bears and black bears. And I grew up in Montana. So I, I knew uh, quite a bit about bear etiquette um, and some about you know, being in the woods etiquette. Um, but when I was fairly early in OA, when I was fairly early in my abstinence, which again started at about four years into program, um, I remember driving through Bend, suddenly having this horrible feeling. And I was like, what is this feeling? I do not know what, I do not like this feeling. And so I called my friend in OA because she was really good at feeling feelings. <laughs> maybe even excessively good at feeling feelings. And I knew she could help me identify it. So I called her and I said, help me. I have, my hands are sweating. I have a knot in my stomach. Oh my God, I'm afraid. She said, yeah, that sounds right. It's like, you, I was used to being mad. I wasn't used to being afraid. I was not equipped to deal with afraid. This was a terrible feeling. And I said, well, how do you make it go away? She said, well, it'll pass. I'm like, but, 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 when? She's like, you'll get better at this. Just relax. Just breathe. So I was like the first time I remember as an adult identifying being afraid. I don't even remember what I was afraid about. I just remember being so embarrassed that I had to call somebody to diagnose my feelings. So I'm on my first backpacking trip and we get about a mile from the car and we come to a creek, which in Oregon would have been a river. It was very, very big and deep, too deep for me to walk through without it going in my boots. And I saw a log that hung over the river almost all the way across. And I said, I'm gonna go to that log and walk across. So the man I was with went across first and he made it look really hard. <laughs> I was really scared. I had a 40 plus pound pack on, which as you might imagine makes balance a little unpredictable. And so I have this pack on and I start out on the log and there's a branch here and then I get halfway across. And there's a branch here that gets behind me as I step away and I can see the next branch, but I can't reach it. And I'm, my legs are separated. I'm walking across the log and I realize I am frozen in fear. I cannot move. And I my legs begin to quiver. And he says, um, you need to move. Yes, yes, I know I need to move. He's like, um, you're using a lot of energies just standing there. I said, mm, yes, I'm painfully aware that I'm using a lot of energy standing here. And if I could move, I would move. But I'm stuck here. And I thought about getting down on like straddling the log, but there were too many sticks sticking out of the log branches that there was no way I could scooch along. And I was just frozen and I just stood there standing on one leg till it quivered too much and then standing on the other leg until it quivered too much and then back and forth, realizing I'm only a mile from the car. I'm gonna wear myself out before I get off this damn log. 
Then I realized, oh, my front foot, which is my right foot, is on a really curvy part of the log instead of a flat part of the log. And I feel unsafe putting my foot, my weight on that foot because I'm afraid it'll slide off the log. So I slid my foot further forward, which made my legs spread farther apart, and I felt it flatten out. And even though now I'm in a really uncomfortable stance, I felt safer putting my weight on that foot. And so I walked off the log. I just walked off the log and it was like, Whoa! and I was so grateful, even as it was happening. Oh, all my life, I have been disrespectful of people who were frozen in fear. Thank you, God, for experiencing being frozen in fear. It's humbling and I needed it because yeah, arrogance is one of my character defects. So it's for me that real time awareness of I'm in this situation, I do not like it. Oh, I'm frozen in fear. Ah, thank you. Thank you for letting me be frozen in fear because now I understand what that feels like. And I have compassion for people I run into who are frozen in fear, which is a wicked awful feeling. Um, so those are the things I wanted to share about. Other than Aaron mentioned, if it's urgent, it's not important. And to me, the most important things are in fact almost never urgent. Uh, I have a business consultant who drew a quad, uh, like four squares on a piece of paper. It was urgent, not important. Urgent, important. Not urgent, not important. And not urgent, important. So it was broken down. And my job in life is to spend time actively focused on urgent, on not urgent, important, because that's the reason I'm on the planet. I can spend my whole life in urgent, hey, reacting to this, getting this work done, getting that thing done. Some of them are important and not nearly as important as the non-urgent, which for me means meditation, writing, the, the spiritual backpacking, those are the non-urgent, exceedingly important things because I get so much insight and value from being closely connected with the planet in, in, in its natural state. Thank you. Uh, I'm Mike. I'm a compulsive eater. And uh, I'm very glad to be here today. And a friend of mine, Jill, that uh, I think she lives part of the year in California as well and on the East Coast, uh, told me about this um, uh, webinar, or for lack of a better term. Uh, and it was great to, uh, to hear uh, the speakers and such, even though I could only join a half hour late. Um, but um, so I was asking questions about, uh, now I found out about OARise.com uh, and where uh, this originated from, but um, you know, so much of what you guys were talking about, uh, you know, you're very articulate with the feelings. And uh, I remember when I first got into recovery, uh, you know, and that was in AA, um, but I've been in OA for, you know, 30 plus years as well, but only abstinence since December of 19. Um, but, um, you know, uh, feelings aren't facts and feelings won't kill you. And, um, you know, but I had to, uh, I remember when I was in treatment, a counselor asked me what made me happy. And I, I had no idea. I had not, not a clue what made me happy. You know, now I can list off 
any one of a hundred things and it would not involve food. Um, where the answer to that question back then might have involved some food products of some kind uh, too. But um, I just uh, really uh, got so much from you guys, uh, you know, and I love, like I had a day, um, I had a day where it was my will and I had the crowbar out trying to, you know, manipulate things into the boxes that I should thought they should go in. Uh, and then like the next day, I had one of the days where I was sort of saying, okay, God, what's next? Okay, God, what's next? And, and just, you know, what the difference between those days are night and day. And, um, you know, so, so it's a daily reprieve and, uh, you know, and sometimes it's an hourly reprieve, you know, so when I get jammed up, I can start all over again and invite God into the mix. And when I do that, I am much better for it. I also just want to tell myself, um, uh, Saturday, I went out to lunch with some friends and I've been to this res restaurant many times and I'm able to stay abstinent there at this restaurant. Um, but I had made a decision to have French fries, which are really not on my food plan. I'm not sure if we could mention food or not specific food. But um, so anyway, I had went inside the restaurant because that's how you have to order out here and um, inquired. I usually uh, exchange the French fries for a salad, which, and, and the, what the, the sandwich comes with is fine with my abstinence. But um, I was going to get the fries instead of the salad. But here, as it turns out, the sandwich doesn't come with anything. So that was my higher power really taking care of me. And it had a lettuce and tomato uh, on the sandwich. And that would really be, that would suffice for an abstinent lunch, which is what I had. But it's very scary to me that, you know, I've been very good with my abstinence thus far and willing to reach out, make phone calls and do all the things that I've resisted in past years. But I'm just so happy that, you know, my higher power intervened and saved me from myself that time. And, uh, you know, I, I was actually chuckling a little bit because that was funny. I never came up with that, that action, you know, oh, it doesn't come with anything now. Well, geez, how about that? So, so that was great. And again, I'm glad to be absent and glad to be in OA. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Bonita, would you like to share next? I'm unmuted now. Yes. Okay. I'm Bonita and I'm a compulsive overeater and I'm from Georgia and I'm glad to be here. And you know, this program has allowed me to learn how to deal with life on life's terms in a gracious, in a graceful way sometimes, sometimes not. But I have learned that if I'm struggling, it's because I'm the one that wants to be in charge. But I've learned that things can happen real quick and I have no control over them. And, um, but what I do have control over is what I do when they happen. And, um, and I'm, <clears throat> I'm newly, I'm a newly, let's see, I'm supposed to remind myself I'm single, but I'm a widow and I'm single and it, this is all new to me. Um, because I came home last June 17th and I walked into my house and my husband was dead in the floor and he hadn't been sick or anything. He was just dead. And, um, you know, this program allowed me to be carried by the people in the, in the fellowship that know me. And it's also a wonderful thing for me now because I'm truly a life on life's terms because there's nobody in my house but me. 
Um, my child, child is grown. He doesn't live here. He lives with his own family. And, um, and I've had to accept that there's more to my house than my house. I have a yard. I never dealt with the yard. But the yard belongs to me just like the house. And because of this program, I was able to moan and groan about it for a little while. And then my high pal said, just get out there and cut the grass. And my son showed me how to cut the grass. And now I cut the grass. And then the neighbors talked to me about cutting the grass. And I'm like, Lord, have mercy. This ain't the kind of conversation I want to have. But this is life on life's terms. And when I say they talk to me about cutting the grass, we'd be laughing because we're all outside cutting the grass and doing stuff. But without this program, physically, I would not be able to cut the grass. Because when I came here, I was 30. Lord, I was 30, 31 years old. And I was having chest pain, shortness of breath, and palpitations. And that was sitting down in a chair. And today, I'm 65 years old. And I can cut my grass. And I live on over an acre of land. I can cut my grass. And I can clean my house. And I can do the things that I need to do. And I start my day every day with prayer and meditation, turning my life over to the God of my understanding. And so I'm very grateful for this program. And, um, you know, a lot of times the things I get out of life is a lot of fun. And sometimes it's not, but it's still okay. I don't have to hurt myself with food. So thank you for letting me share it. And um, I'll pass. Uh, Nancy B. My, my name is Nancy Beecheman. I am a compulsive overeater. And I want to thank our speakers. For somebody with the amount of time and the background I have in Overeaters Anonymous to want to sit through three hours and wish that this was a retreat so you could just keep going the whole weekend, that's saying a lot, you know. Um, I was just because of the speaker mentioned, I was going to show you 44 years ago, I was given a God box and it's rather huge because I had a lot of problems and it said, <laughs> well, recently I was giving a newer God box because most of my problems now are insignificant and it's, this one is full of a hearts because now I can finally at last give and receive love. And I know what makes this little overeater happy. It's someday when I'm feeling kind of blue and my doorbell rings and there's a young girl standing there who maybe has traveled for hours to get here from another city or state. And she says to me, I've heard about you. I'm dying and I heard you can help me. And I can say, put my hand in yours and get her to proper meetings and help her out and watch the light in her eyes come on through the months. That's what now makes me happy. I married a guy because he was a very famous lawyer. It didn't matter that he beat the crap out of me on a daily basis. I had children because I thought somebody would love me forever. One of them hasn't talked to me for 20 years because she's mad about what went on when she was very little. And she has every right to do that. I thought that when I lost 150 pounds, all I was well, and then I got breast cancer and lost a boob. So the truth was, no matter what I did, something happened to make it not be the answer. But the answer for me has become all that meditation and getting quiet and all that turning to God. You know, and I did have, I do want to say that 
I lost my voice because I've been speaking at so many meetings and sharing and I'm on steroids. So it, it, it's a blessing for people to want to hear and for somebody like me who went to jail and stole and did such horrible things, you know, and manipulated and cheated. I had such anger. If you didn't ask me to dance, I'd go in the parking lot and rip off your uh, antennas, you know, that I could turn it around now and be a person that somebody wants to hear from. And I think that Overeaters Anonymous, I think the key, the key, because the book says we're going to die or go insane. The book says we really will go to jail. Well, I already did that. Or we'll be hospitalized or we'd be crazy. So what is the choice? We must abstain. But until I can get that clarity and get a food plan that's healthy and a food plan that's simple, that's given to me by a doctor and nutritionist, I don't put anything into this body that's not healthy for me. And that makes it very simple. I carry food in my car, you know, three beans and tuna in a can opener when I got serious. Then life becomes very easy. And for me, it's about the traditions and the steps. So my question is this, there really is one. Would you girls both share with us some of the things you've had to give up? For me, I had to give up relationships and even my house and my family and and everything I did to make a whole new life, I had to die to live. I just wondered if you had to sacrifice to get better. And the other question was, what things, there's so many new people here who are suffering and struggling, and I don't think you should have to suffer and struggle. I did that enough before I got here. So my question is, what did you do in the beginning that's allowed you to be here? Things that maybe you still do, and what is your program? The program is the days you stay home to do the writing and work the steps. Not tools, but what is your program? What do you do every morning? So let's give these kids some kind of a, something to walk out of here tonight if they want to eat. Tell us some things that you would do. Thank you. Okay. Um, we'll have each of the speakers um, answer that question, and then we'll go to Amanda after both speakers are finished. Okay. Erin, you want to go first or second? Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, hi, thank you so much, Nancy, for your question and your share. Um, things I had to give up. I had to give up self-will. Um, my arrogance leaves me thinking that I can do what I need to get done. In this program, I learned to ask, okay, God, now what? Instead of, I wanna be there and I have to get through these three people to get there and get out of my way because I was quite effective at doing that. And only after I had arrived at, arrived at the desired location would I realize I missed lots of byways on the way there that I could have savored and enjoyed and just appreciated. But no, I was busy getting to point B from point A. Uh, so probably the biggest thing I needed to give up was my concept that I knew what was best. I just didn't know what was best. My daily practice involves getting up and meditating before I get out of bed. Well, okay, I go to the bathroom, I come back, I take a sublingual estrogen, so I put the medicine in my mouth. It's supposed to stay there 20 minutes, so I go do a 15 to 20 minute meditation virtually every day. Um, and that, if I don't do that, by 10 o'clock I'm crazy. But I can go back and do it anytime. So I, and, and now I have the option of noticing that I'm crazy. Like, oh, Look at me, I'm crazy. I like to think of myself as a toddler. Dee, 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 there I go, running through life, ignoring what I know I need to do that's best for me, knowing it, 
like I knew writing was good for me and I wouldn't do it. I knew a 10th step was good for me and I wouldn't do it. I knew it, but I wasn't willing to do it. So it wasn't in my heart. And I would just lovingly watch my little toddler self run around not doing what I knew was best for her. Lovingly holding that space for her until she was ready to do the next thing that God clearly had in mind for me to be the best me I can be. So Erin, your turn. Thanks, Trish. Um, those are good questions. Um, the first thing that came up for me about what I had to give up, and I, I feel sort of teary saying this. It's funny. I, this is the first time I've felt this. And first time I've made this, I don't, I, I'm making a connection. I don't pretend to know what it is right now, honestly. But um, I had to give up sarcasm. Um, and uh, I, I like to think of myself as a funny person, right? I like to, um, you know, I want to make you laugh and make you feel good. And sarcasm was something I used as a buffer. Um, uh, for a long time, it was, I, you know, it would be about other people. And then, uh, then it was all, a lot, lot of self-deprecation um, as, I, as I got sort of into recovery. And um, I say sarcasm because, you know, I, gosh, when I'm being sarcastic, it sort of affects my whole outlook. Um, I'm not saying I can't throw a zinger around now and again, right? But it's not usually based on anyone or anyone's character defect because shit, if it's about that, I should definitely start here, right? But this idea that somehow, right, by putting someone else in a position to make me feel better, um, that's a lot of what I did in my life. So I gave up sarcasm. I, I gave up a lot of things. I gave up self-will. Um, I, I snatch it back every day. Let's just be clear. I snatch it back every, you know, every day I'm ready to take it back. Right. And then I turn it over and then I take it back and I turn it over. And those days are harder than the days that I just give it up, you know, the whole day. Um, there's probably a lot of other things, but those are the things that come to my mind right now. Um, oh, I gave up isolation. I gave up isolation. I gave up, um, not letting people know me. Um, and that was very scary. What's my program? Um, I have a morning practice. Um, I, my morning practice, I, I'm pretty privileged right now because of my work situation. I get up uh, with my husband, he leaves, and I do about two and a half hours of reading, sponsy phone calls and meditation not necessarily in that order. Um, I do try to meditate every day. Sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 20 minutes, sometimes it's with my eyes open. Some, I think I started to say this before and then I got sidetracked by the, my annoyance at my resentment at my neighbor's dogs, um, <laughs> which is my, my problem, not theirs. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do a meditation. Um, it looks like a lot of different things, but it's really important for me to be quiet and listen to my higher power. Um, when I'm praying, you know, I'm talking to God and when I'm meditating, hopefully I'm willing to hear God talk to me. Um, I go to four meetings a week. Um, that's kind of the regular for me, four Zoom meetings a week. Um, I am a chair of our inner group. Um, so I do service at that level. And I, uh, I yeah, I have th three sponsee calls every morning, short calls, and then I have some others during the week. And if you told me that, um, so whenever I say, oh, I'm tired of program, like I'm tired of doing all this stuff, what I'm really saying is, uh, you know, well, what would I be doing instead? I'd be eating. So service keeps me, you know, service keeps me showing up. 
right? Service keeps me showing up. So I do a lot of service and sometimes I have to have God tell me, um, you're doing too much. You're doing too much service because I, again, I care what you think of me. And um, God has to remind me that, that what you think of me is none of my business. So that's sort of what my program looks like. Uh, we're going to go to Amanda T. I'm going to ask you to unmute. And then uh, the next person to share will be OA member. Hi, Amanda, compulsive overeater. I'm in Palm Desert, California. And I want to thank you guys for hosting this and doing this. The speaking was great. I, you guys, both the speakers, Aaron and Trish, have done fantastic. And I think you both mentioned, like, you know, I hope someone gets something out of this. Well, I'm that someone who did. So that was awesome. Um, I do want to ask you guys a question. It started out with something Aaron said, um, and then Trish, you touched on it later in a different thing. Um, Aaron, I loved what you said when you say you live in the gray, because I also, as far as being a recovering compulsive overeater, I'm a recovering perfectionist, and I either have something that looks exactly my way in my perfect little state, or it's the exact opposite, and I'm doing nothing, and in the food. And um, Trish, you you kind of commented on that as being recovery is progressive. So can you guys kind of talk about what it looks like to, to live in the gray and to be okay with not being perfect and not living up to those standards your disease wants you to live in? I'll go first this time, Trish. I feel inspired. Um, you know, I, oh my gosh. The thing that came to me when you, when you asked that was, um, Um, how does my higher power see me, right? How does my higher power see me? And, um, and uh, you know, I spent so many years being so mean to myself, so mean to myself. Um, and yeah, black and white, right? Because I don't know any difference. So if it doesn't look like this, it has to look like this. I don't know what's in here. Like before program, I didn't know what it was like to live in this part. Because I, I just, I only knew that if it was right or wrong, right? If I was good or bad. Um, because I just didn't have any tools. I didn't have any experience of knowing that there was this whole sort of, you know, um, you know, vast experience that I could have between those two things. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. That was my experience. And, you know, um, food, you know, food saved me for a long time until it didn't. Um, so, um, so what I will say about living in that gray is that um, I feel it when I'm living there. Like I feel it when I'm there. Right. And like, I think I said earlier, you know, God earlier last week or the week before said, yeah, you're, you're really compliant right now. You're really holding on to your food plan in a way that does not serve you. Right. So I had to be willing to sort of like ease up a little bit, like, you know, and I'm not, I don't really know how to explain that, but like, I'm just, I'm not being so like, oh, the crop, this and oh, this, you know, like, I'm just, I'm just sort of like, this is my food. This is my food. This is my food. Okay. Here's my food. I send it. Right. Um, but I can get obsessive about that because I think if I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm bad or I'm good. Well, no, it's not a moral issue. Right. And that's the one thing I will say of living in the gray. It is not a moral issue. And, um, and I'm not a bad person trying to be good. I'm a sick person trying to get well. So that's living in the gray. It's just knowing how does my higher power see me? Um, because that's where I need to be living. That's what I know. Thanks, Erin. I am Trish, grateful recovering compulsive eater. For me, living in the gray is about 
<laughs> accepting life on life's terms, <laughs> including me. Um, I love to hold myself to an inhuman standard. And I'm actually reasonably good at meeting it until I don't. And then I'm unforgivable because I have been human. Yeah, as soon as I find myself in that uh, duality where I'm either perfect or I'm nothing, I have to remember, no, I'm, I'm my higher power's loved one. And try to shift my gaze from the eyes inside my head to the eyes of my higher power looking at me, the way I look at my little inner toddler and say, look at you go. Look at you go trying to be perfect. Woo, you're so good at it too. Yay, you. And oh, you kind of bumped your knee. Yeah. Yep, life happens. Yeah, come here. Let's kiss the knee. Put a Band-Aid on it. And, and I'll hold you until you're done crying. And treat myself with that kind of loving, honoring respect. That, that vow I made to myself when I realized the person I needed to marry now was me. So I think that's what I have to share. Thank you. Um, I'm an OA member. I'm going to um, un ask you to unmute. And then we'll have um, Elise and then Eileen. Hi, I'm an OA member. So grateful to be here. Compulsive overeater restrictor. I want to thank you so much for organizing this and just the speakers shares were incredible and I related to so much. Um, I'm very new and pretty young here also. And I'm just struggling actively with the food and something that I would love to hear your guidance on is about dealing specifically with like really high anxiety that leads to, I feel like there's no other option but food, which I know is not accurate, but I just, I'm feeling a little lost in that aspect. If you could please just share your experience and I would really appreciate it. Trish, do you feel like you want to start? Go ahead, Erin, I'll follow you. Oops, you're muted. Okay. Um, oh my gosh, my heart. I just, yes, you know, I identify. I identify with um, what you're saying. You're not alone. You are not alone. Um, and um, so grateful that you're here. Um, I am an anxious person. I am a fearful, anxious person. And I never knew that I was until I quit using my drug of choice. Um, I you had told me that I was anxious, I would have been like, no, I'm not. But boy, take away the, the thing that I used to anesthetize myself. Yeah, I'm an anxious, fearful person. However, in recovery, um, I've really been able to find. Um, so here's my answer, right? I, uh, my answer is um, to find a higher power that is not yourself, that it may be the group, it may be um, the, the group, it could be the fellowship, it could be um, any, you know, the sky, a tree. Higher power is what um, lets me know that I am not in charge, right? If, uh, if I don't have to rely on myself, um, 
Oh gosh, this is such a tough answer for me because it really does come down to higher power for me um, around anxiety and around the, um, specifically around the only answer I know is food. I absolutely identify with what you're saying. Uh, I, I remember what that felt like um, very, very distinctly. Um, I'm not immune to that. Um, reaching out to other people letting them know, hey, uh, you know, I remember when I would, uh, the first time I called somebody before a binge, <laughs> which was insane, like I had never done that. I called them and I said, I've got all this food here. This is what I'm going to do. And, I, you know, I, I it, you know, it, it uh, I got to tell somebody my secret and what I was going to do. And then we got to talk um, and it was okay, right? It was okay. So, um, I'm gonna say my higher power. I don't know if you have a higher power, um, but you can use the group. You can use anything as your higher power, but um, I know it can't be me. And um, if I try to rely on my own self-will or my own thinking of like, you shouldn't be anxious, you shouldn't be afraid, you know, or whatever my brain tells me, right? That sends me to the food because I don't have any, you know, I didn't have any other answers. Um, so um, I would also say, you know, going to as many meetings as possible, surrounding yourself with people in recovery, um, because there are so many other people out there like you and I that are anxious and fearful and talking to them and hearing how they do it, because I don't have the answer. But um, I know that talking to other people in recovery, when I have a question, like, what do you do about this? What do you do about that? Um, you know, I want to have all answers for my sponsees and half the time I'm like, you're going to have to ask somebody else because I'm not sure. Yeah, ask around, right? But um, you're not alone is what I want you to know. You're not alone. And, um, and uh, you know, I'm please take my number. I'm happy to talk to you anytime. I want to say same here. <laughs> I feel exactly the same way. I think the only thing I have to share on top of that is under the DSM-4 or whatever number we're on, which is the Diagnostic Service Manual for mentally, Mental Issues, our disorder, eating disorders are characterized as anxiety disorders. It is, we are almost as a rule anxious, even if we're not necessarily aware of it. My anger before program in, in my early years in program was misdirected anxiety. There's nothing more than that. I certainly wasn't willing to admit that it was anxiety. Um, you are not alone. My biggest reaction to your share in addition to feeling heartbroken was such envy to find this program young. Because <laughs> um, I was 30 when I came in, which is still considered young. My life is so much better than it could have been if I hadn't found program. And I think the younger we find it, the, the better off we are, the more we have a chance to really evolve and be who we're here to be. I do wanna offer two apologies to the whole group. One, um, I have been excessively helpful and I've been doing Mickey's jobs for her. So I have been undoing things she's been doing and I should have just left it alone. So when she allowed you to chat and to unmute yourselves, I also did undoing what she did so I apologize. And then someone had their hand up and we both lowered it. Well, she lowered the previous one and I lowered that one on accident. So I'm gonna just let Mickey do her job now that we have half an hour or less left. Okay, thank you, no problem. Um, I think we collided and I think Elise's hand might have gotten down, lowered down by mistake and we apologize for that. 
or you you lowered it yourself. So Elise, if you would like to share, please raise your hand again. And now we'll go to Eileen in Idaho. Oh, there's Elise. Um, Elise can, um, well, actually, um, Eileen, is it okay if we go to Elise? I'm gonna ask her to unmute. Okay, she gave me a thumbs up. Um, so go ahead and unmute Elise. Sorry about that, we apologize. Uh, we can't hear you too well. Can you get a little closer to your microphone? Okay, is this yes. better? better much better so um i guess i couldn't help chiming in on this i'm a therapist and it's like one out of three people especially women suffer from anxiety um and um i know that a lot of people that i've seen and i know for myself self-medicate that addicts generally uh, no matter what the addiction can be self-medicating and can have suffered from abuse or all kinds of different things in their lives that were traumatic and can be self-medicating. If you need to get professional help, get it. Sometimes it's outside of this program. I know it was for me. Um, you know, in addition to this program, I suffer from anxiety, depression, and I'm also a therapist. So I went and got outside help and it helped me. Um, and I can tell you that every week, um, I can't even count how many people I refer to this program. I refer so many people to OA, AA, Al-Anon, um, Naranon, you know, people walking in depressed, anxious, but then the problem gets worse because they pick up a substance and then the problem gets exacerbated by whatever substance the person picks up. Myself included, I've been having a real hard time. Um, I go to a vision for you, if anybody's heard of it, where it's you know a bunch of big book thumpers and there's meetings seven in the morning, eight in the morning, 10 in the morning, and really, really just working the steps. I really appreciate this meeting. I think it's terrific. I love speakers. I love hearing speakers. And my sponsor from that Vision for You meeting told me about this. I'm grateful. Um, but um, I'm going to leave my number on the chat. I don't even know the name of the person that last qualified. But I also am a person that suffered from, suffered from anxiety and depression. And I've been stabilized for about um, since my son is 11 years old. I'm 55, I've been stabilized for like, what is it, 10 years, 20 years, something like that. It's really very much, very possible to overcome anxiety and depression and, and not to have it anymore. It really is. And some people just, some people it has all to do with the sugar and the substances they put in their bodies. It really, really does. So, um, I just, um, I'm also just grateful to be here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right. Very grateful to be here and to have heard about this and really enjoying the speakers. Um, I'm also enjoying hearing people that had Ro Roseanne as their uh, sponsor. I think that is uh, <laughs> very exciting. And, um, you know, uh, I just lost my grandma. She was 104 and she was smart as a whip. I mean, she was really something. So um, it always, I always love to um, meet people that are, that are older than I am. And um, 
that act younger than I am. So, uh, and, and feel younger than I am. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, Eileen in Idaho, I'm gonna ask you to unmute. There we go. Okay, um, my name is Eileen Kabulsvover, either vomiter, and your chat is disabled. Um, just so you know, that's why I couldn't respond to you when you asked if my hand had come down. I tried to get in there because I wanted to ask you guys a question. But anyways, um, first of all, I want to thank the speakers so much. There's such a gentleness and vulnerability in both of you. It just touched my heart. And Trish, the, the way you talked about your toddler, that just, you know, that just really got me. I didn't realize it until I'm saying it out loud. And um, and this, you know, that's like what you said about writing. It's one of those tools that I know works and I fight it every time. And for me, what really works for me is I can write because I go, oh, what am I going to write about? Well, just try to put the pen to paper. And when I really get the answers is when I share it with somebody. Because just like I said to you about your toddler where the feelings came up, that's what happens to me when I read my writing. When I write it, sometimes I don't get it. But when I read it to a dear friend or a fellow, that's when the emotions come up. And um, I just so appreciate both of you. And um, <laughs> the reason I raised my hand is because I wanted to ask a question about when do we get the recordings? Because I've been on OA Rise and I have not seen them on there. And I remember hearing the very first speaker, the big book gentleman, and um, I, I want to listen. I want to listen to you guys again, for sure. Um, thank you, Mickey. Chat's now open. <laughs> um, but I really want to find out when is OA Rise going to have those recordings because I want to hear you guys again. The question I have for both of you is I struggle with meditation. I know it works. I know when you talk about meditation, I roll my eyes because I can't silence the biddies in the attic. They just keep chattering. I can't get them quiet. Um, do either of you use any apps, you know, that work for you? Any, any help I can get from either of you of how can I quiet the chatter in my brain or how, I don't know how to meditate. I mean, I really try. I did the Oprah Deepak thing. Um, and I just, I, I'm struggling with the meditation and I know that's where I can shut up and hear God because I tend to talk a lot. Um, and, you know, but I, and I also really love what you guys said. Okay, God, what's next? Because I am a bull in a china closet. You know, I mean, I moved up here where it's super peaceful and, um, and I still like have a list of things I need to do. And I'm sitting down listening to you ladies, which is astonishing. Usually I am doing 20 things at once. So I need to quiet that. And I know meditation's the answer. So if you guys could assist with that, and when can I get the recording so I can listen to you again, because I love you both. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Eileen. I could not thank you more for that question about the recordings. We do have a volunteer, an OA member volunteer, who is working on getting the recordings in place. I only found him on Thursday. So he is editing them to take off the loose ends. Um, and I think we may have lost one hour of Patrick's. He was our first speaker on the 12 steps out of the AA Big Book. Um, and so we may not have a full set for him, but we do have the rest. We are working on record having them done. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I mean, it's all volunteer. 
If anybody else knows how to do um, audio recording, please, 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 please contact me. I have my phone number here. I'm on the chat. Um, uh, so I'm so glad you asked about meditation too, because my introduction to meditation was a long, long, long time ago when my little boys were little and we went to the dentist and the dentist gave them a little two minute hourglass timer. It was plastic pink, two minute hourglass timer. And I knew there was no way my kids were gonna brush their teeth for two minutes. So I confiscated the timer and decided I would meditate for two minutes. And for me, my meditation was, I turn the timer over and I sit there and I watch it and I try to get my head and my butt in the same chair before all the sand runs out. And that was my only goal was let's just all of me be here before that two minute sand runs out. And it took an eternity for two minutes of sand to run out. <laughs> and, but I learned, I began to learn. And that's what this program for me is all about. I begin to learn. I do have an app that I listen to, um, or I, I participate in almost every day. My current preference is guided meditation. Um, the other alternative, which isn't happening as much now, is group meditation. There is an incredible power in group meditation. Um, and, and that app allows me to communicate with other members on the app, other people on the app about what I've um, done what they've done and you know kind of great meditating with you today uh, if you want more information about that app please contact me outside the meeting because it is an outside issue so i won't be sharing that specifically um so aaron do you have a an answer uh let's see i kind of want to say ditto um uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, my, some days my meditation is beautiful and gorgeous and I get teary and I'm hearing God and the sun is coming through and the birds are singing and some days I'm like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? And I do like five minutes and I'm like, I can't do anymore. So I, it's super imperfect, right? I do, um, I started I started using a yeah guided meditation. I have an app as well. Um, and please feel free to reach out to me about that. Um, I really like it. There are lots of things on it, lots of different, there's uh, guided and there's music. Um, I tend to find um, that I really enjoy nature sounds when I'm meditating um, with little music. Um, it kind of depends on my serenity, honestly. If I if my brain is super busy, which I heard you say, I want a guided meditation, right? I just want a guided meditation. And you know, just to agree uh, wholeheartedly, um, what Trisha's like, man, one minute is enough. Like one minute a day, you know, if I can do one minute, great. If you can do two minutes, great. Like it just doesn't have to look. I think I always thought it had to look a specific way. It doesn't in my experience. That's my experience only. It does not have to look anyway. So find like find a guided meditation that I like and use it. Sure. I'm going to use the same. I might use it for a month and then I'm like, oh, there's other ones. And then like I'm kind of led to find others. But um, when I'm feeling really serene, I can listen to music and do a longer meditation, you know, but if my brain's busy, I need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. Um, so you are not alone in that. Um, if, if I can say anything to you, um, if you ever told me that I would be able to meditate for 20 minutes, I would have thought you were insane. Like that just seems like such a huge amount of time. I don't do that all the time, but I do it once in a while, you know, um, it's usually 10 minutes and, you know, and little times throughout the day. So feel free to, you know, reach out. I'm happy to chat with you more about that. Um, we currently do not have any blue hands up. Anybody else would like to share? 
or ask a question. And again, if you're on the phone, it's star nine to raise your hand. Uh, Trish, should we um, close the meeting early, or is there anything you or um, Aaron would like to share again, uh, wrap up? There's a raised hand now, Mickey. Oh, Denise. <laughs> thank you, Lori. And Lori's doing the timing now, for, so watch for her. Uh, thank you. Uh, Denise in Vancouver. Please, uh, I will ask you to unmute. Thanks very much. And thanks so much for the people sharing and the people asking questions. I'm a compulsive overeater in Vancouver, BC, and I'm very grateful to this program. Hi. Yeah, it's nice to, yeah, it's nice to see some of you again. Um, I guess I have a comment and a, and a question if you've had the same experience. Uh, I've heard people sharing today, and I've heard it often in meetings, how, and I've had that experience in the beginning, I struggled with meditation because I expected to be able to quiet my mind. And so I would sit and it would rattle away, all the squirrels, and I would think I was failing and I wasn't doing it right. So I kept trying without talking about it. And finally, I talked to others about it and I started sharing about it and I was so relieved when someone told me, oh, no, 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 no. I often sit down and my head is crazy. I do it anyway. And I remembered something that my first OA sponsor said, which was, praying is easy when you believe. Praying when you don't believe, that's what's challenging. And I think of that now about meditation and I'm, I have a piece around meditation that's great. I can sit there and watch my head go crazy for the whole time and I'm like, oh, honey, it's that kind of day. So has, is that your experience or what is your experience and how does it differ? Thanks. Um, okay, that yes, yes and yes and yes and yes, that is my experience. Um, and sticking with it when my brain is going crazy, that's a form of meditation in itself, right? You know, not just giving up, um, which I've also done, but I don't do that as much anymore um you know i set that timer and i my brain will just you know and then i'll get a few minutes of you know peace and then oh my brain's going again you know it's like this i'm walking this path and then oh, over here and then back to the path and then oh, over here and some days it's you know every two seconds i'm off the path and you know so but i think that's the practice for me i think that's the practice is um and being really gentle and being accepting right there's no judgment about that. It's just my, my crazy brain, right? So yes, to answer your question, yes, I relate completely. <laughs> Ditto. Because <laughs> it really is for me a practice. Somebody was, I think it was um, RBG from Spokane had chatted about um, the needed to be grounded and how it's much more difficult in the age of COVID to be grounded. And for me, when I cannot get grounded, 
I have to go barefoot onto the earth. There's something about standing barefoot on earth that grounds me. And if that doesn't work, then I stand barefoot on the earth and hug a tree. And that has yet to not work. That has always worked. But I have to be really aware that I'm not grounded. And one of the tricks is realizing I'm not grounded, which I don't always know. Thank you. Um, I hope everybody understands. I'm going to have people that haven't shared yet share first. Uh, Anna Maria. Oh, what a pretty name. I'm going to ask you to unmute. Hi, this is Anna Maria. Can you hear me? You're a little bit garbled. Uh, is that better? Uh, a little bit. Okay, well, um, I just, somebody said something about being grounded. It's probably crosstalk, but it's, I heard many years ago, is be where your feet are. And um, I just, I left my name and phone number in the chat room or in the chat box. And I'm over here in mountain daylight time. So in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I live alone. I enjoy receiving calls. I'm a long timer. I have experience with anxiety. So if anybody wants to call even just to say the serenity prayer to calm themselves down, I'm cool with that. And back to that thing about, you know, being where your feet are reminds me what the big book says. We can have our head in the clouds, but as long as our feet are on the ground where we're doing our higher powers work, that's helped me, that's helped me a lot lately, too. Thank you so much for this workshop. Thank you. Uh, Leslie, I'm going to um, ask you to unmute. Hi, I'm Leslie. I'm a compulsive eater. Uh, I, Trish and Aaron, you are just uh, really helpful, really inspiring. I liked when you talked about sitting with disturbance because for me, that's what it's about. I had to do a, someone gave me a little assignment to carry a book with me for one day. And every time I'm disturbed, I, sh I needed to write it down. And so it started when I got out of bed and I couldn't find my slippers. And already I had to write something down. And then the tooth cap fell into the uh, drain. It was like, oh God. And then the water wouldn't get hot for the shower. And this was in the first 10 minutes. I already had like five things. And so when I asked this person, well, what do you do with this? They said, um, you stop, you pause, the sacred pause, you breathe, and you let go. And you move on to the next thing and don't ruminate about it. And that's really helped me uh, to sit through um, all kinds of disturbance. And I know when I'm able to sit through it, I sometimes have a lot of physical pain. I can feel pain in my body, the pain of craving unsatisfied, where my body gets tense and tight and I feel like my big toe is in the outlet, the electrical outlet. And but what I found is that I stick with it and it passes. It'll pass. Usually it'll pass within four minutes if I can just not move, be still. But here's the problem, and this is my question. 
sometimes I can't get that awareness that I'm disturbed. I don't know what I'm upset about. And it makes me think of that line from the big book, suddenly the thought crossed his mind. And once that goes, if I don't have some way to sit with that, or I, I'm not able at that point, I'm a goner. And uh, so I was wondering if you had any thoughts on that. Um, when, you know, for no apparent reason, no anxiety, no depression, no fear, nothing. All of a sudden, because what happened to me, I'm sitting reading a book, and then I remembered that in the refrigerator, there were some leftovers. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind, and that's when the pain starts. So any comment or elaboration you could do, I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Erin, you want me to go first? I said, you want me to go first. <laughs> oh, that is the dilemma. Um, because when I'm in it, I'm in it. And I don't know I'm in it. Cultivating that pause, cultivating that tiny separation between me and whatever's happening. Because as an addict, I want to react. I want to be in it. I want to go get those leftovers and make them go away. And what I need to do is cultivate the pause, the awareness, and that's the key for me, awareness that, oh, just a second. Did anybody else hear that? The thing in the fridge is talking to me. <laughs> um, I don't think you heard that, but I sure as shit did. I got to do something. And talking about it. Like I, my, my life partner is a longtime AA member um, and, and it's, you know, we've been in this relationship for about a year and a half and we've, we're really good friends for about a year before that. Um, and so this is a different world for me. So I can share with him. Oh, shit. Did you hear that thing in the freezer talk to us? I, I heard something in the freezer. It was talking to me and he gets it because we have stuff around. He doesn't drink and He's like, it doesn't talk to him. I'm really envious. I go, and then I want to get into beating myself up because I'm not sufficiently spiritually fit where I wouldn't be hearing the thing in the fridge. Reality is sometimes I hear the thing in the fridge. My job is to cultivate the awareness so that I have choices. Otherwise, I'm an automaton and it has control over me and I have no choices. And then... I get to do what my sponsor says, which is it's okay and it's not okay because I'm a compulsive eater. It's not okay and it's not okay to beat myself up about it. So it is okay. It's my disease and sometimes I'm in it. Hopefully very rarely. Uh, I, I uh, yes. That was really eloquent cultivating that that um that pause right and i think a lot of times how i describe that is practicing it so um for a long time i had now i just have two 
But for a long time, I had um, multiple alarms on my phone that would go off. And there's um, a recording of somebody singing the serenity prayer. And that is what would go off. And uh, it was just like, uh, I think I had uh, labeled it, say hi to God. Right. So it would just go off three or four times during the day, you know, and I'd look at it and I'd be like, oh, right. Hi, God. And then like, that was it. Right. I was just trying to cultivate like turning to my higher power um, being a first response. Right. And, and it's a, again, like all of this feels like such a practice, right. Which is, um, and you know, we get that strange mental blank spot. I get it too, where all of a sudden I'm like walking this way and you know, like, I don't even know what's happening, you know, and, and, um, you know, uh, I, I am free of the physical craving, but I absolutely that mental that, you know, mental obsession still shows up for me. Um, and, um, and I'll just be so surprised sometimes I'm like, what every, you know, good day, everything's, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm an addict. It does not matter. So, um, yeah, finding ways to cultivate the practice of the pause, right? So that if I can pause for, I think someone else mentioned this too, like if I can just pause briefly, you know, between the feeling and the, and the reaction to it, right? I can, I can breathe through it um, and it will pass. But if I turn to food, um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I am re, I'm just telling myself that that's the answer, right? You know, I'm not putting a, I'm not putting, when I, when I take that pause and I, and I turn away from the food, what I'm doing is I'm putting another block in my, my pathway, in my arch, right? I'm building this solid foundation. Every time I do that, it feels, you know, I get a little extra, I get, you know, I shore up my recovery, but it's, um, that is a, Gosh, if anybody has like the answer to that, I would love that. But I, I do think it's a, I do think it's a practice of turning to my higher power in those moments. And um, I do it imperfectly. Um, and I do it uh, too with, a, uh, I'm given grace, right? It's okay, but it's not okay. I love that, right? Like that's what my sponsor will say. Like, it's okay. It's over. We move forward, right? But, but what do we learn from this? And then, you know, what do we do differently next time? And yeah, I want that too. I'm imperfect. And so, yeah, what do I get to learn from this? Um, the shame is what s sends me to overeating and to compulsive eating and to sugar. And um, I just have been given the grace to not shame, be shame, shamed about that any longer. I'm an addict. Of course, that's what I think of. If I didn't, I wouldn't be in this program. I'd see you later, suckers. I don't need to be here. So, but I am here. Thank goodness. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's now time to close the meeting. I want to thank um, Aaron and Trish for being our speakers today. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. Please remember our commitment to honor each other's anonymity. Take the stories, but leave the names behind. Please remember that OA Rise goal is twofold. One goal is to provide speaker meetings and recordings to support OA members. The second goal is to financially support the World Service Office. Please give what you are able to show the World Service how much we appreciate its work and to keep OA going strong. Um, please join us for another wonderful share of experience, strength, and hope at our next speakers meeting, which will be on the third Sunday of September, which is September 20th. Our topic will be step six and seven. After a moment of silence, we will close with the serenity prayer. I will speak it aloud and invite those of you who wish to join me silently. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, keep coming back. It works if you work. If you work it, and you're worth it. <laughs>